Welcome back. We are in Genesis chapter 11. Moving on. Chapter 11. We're going to talk about the Tower of Babel. So first thing to note is that chapter 11 chronologically actually becomes before the previous chapter, chapter 10. So the Bible, as you know, is not written in most parts, is not written in chronological order. So 11 would come before 10. So if you want to read it back that way and then go back to 11, uh, 10, as we went through, has a lot of names and genealogy, which can be boring for many. Uh, but there's a lot of stuff that we uh, can learn as we talked about as we went through it. So here we go on to 11. Now the whole earth had one language and one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. So we go back to verse 1. The whole earth, everybody, spoke one language. And that's it. Nothing else. One language. I don't know what the language was. People can just surmise what it may have possibly been. I've heard one person say that that's the language they think will speak in heaven. I don't know. But it's really interesting to think that everybody in the world spoke one language. And then verse 2, it says, And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east, so they're traveling from the east to the west. So they were traveling. They weren't just sitting still. They found a plain in the land of Shinar, and that is modern in modern-day Iraq. And they dwelt there. Verse 3, Then they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. So they spoke this language. I'm assuming it's the same language that <clears throat> Adam and Eve spoke and Noah and his wife and sons and daughter-in-law spoke. How they learned that language? I don't know. God just gave it to them initially, right? And just like children who grow up in a house learn that language of their parents, aren't really taught it. They just learn it and start talking when they're, you know, one and two and three. And then you're like, whoa, they know the language perfectly or very well anyway. So very interesting. So they're talking to each other. They said one uh said to one another, quote, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly, end quote. So they're taking bricks. God gave them the intelligence to make these bricks, right? Bricks aren't just there. You actually form bricks. Stones are already there. Bricks are actually man-made um, by taking the ingredients and making a brick. And it says, and bake them thoroughly. So they're already learned, they've already learned how to bake things to make bricks. So they've got heat and fire and all that good stuff. And then it goes on to say they had brick for stone and they had asphalt for mortar. So with perfect stones, you don't need the asphalt or the mortar because they fit together like in the temple that Solomon built. It was so perfectly fit together that it didn't need it. Here their bricks needed it. In verse 4 and says, And they said, Come, let us build a city. I'm sorry. Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. So they say, come, they're talking to each other. Let us build a city, ourselves a city. So they wanted a place for themselves. And it says, in a tower whose top is in the heavens. So I'm going to read <clears throat> something that J. Vernon McGee said here. I'm just going to quote him from one of his commentaries. And it says, the Tower of Babel was a religious symbol. It was a ziggurat. All through that valley, as I have indicated, this is J. Vernon McGee, there are ruins of ziggurats. There were places where people worshipped the creature rather than the creator. Some ziggurats were round, others were square, but all of them had runways leaning to the top, and on the top the people carried on the worship of the sun, moon, and stars. After all, when they could see the sun, moon, and stars, they knew they were not going to have a flood, and they felt that God had been pretty mean to have sent the flood. 
So that's what J. Vernon McGee, so it's some background on this concept of a ziggurat. So they built this tower whose top is in the heavens. So they're trying to build it super high. They were going to trying to reach the heavens. And this is typical of most religions which focus on works, on working your way into God's heart. It's like this ladder. And if you study a lot of <clears throat> religions, you'll see this religious religious ladder that people climb. And, you know, you can see it in the Catholic Church, and you've got priests, and then you've got bishops, and then you've got the Pope. And I'm simple, oversimplifying it. And I'm reading a book on Islam right now, and he's talking about climbing the uh, ladder of, of Islam. It's it's a proverbial ladder in his, his essence, saying you start out saying, oh, I, I love God, and I need a God. And then it's, oh, I want to learn these verses and be good and tell people. And then he says the next one is, well, then you start reading that the only way to get to heaven is through jihad and that you're supposed to eliminate infidels who are non-Muslims uh, and either uh, kill them or make them pay you a tax. Um, what's the third thing? I can't think of the third thing right now. It's pay a tax. Oh, or convert. Convert, pay the tax, or be killed. So you have these uh, ladders that a lot of religions climb. And it's a, it's a form of focusing on getting better and better by our works. For example, Mormonism focuses on doing rituals and lots of works in order to be able to rise the ladder during your lifetime, right? Not all Mormons can go into certain temples. Not all Mormons can go behind the um, curtain, the, uh, what's the word? Um, can't think of the word right now. Um, anyways, the... They can't go into certain places in the temple. They have to they have to earn these things over time and get approved. And then they can get disapproved and they can get demoted essentially and they can get excommunicated. So it's this it's this whole workspace thing. Catholics focus on works and that's why they improperly idolize people that they call saints, right? They they say, Oh, this person was good enough, so good that they're actually a saint, and now we can pray to them and worship them. And they idolize Mary, who was a person just like you and I, nothing more. Um, she was a sinner, just like you and I. Uh, we already talked about Muslims. So uh, if you look at religions that focus on reincarnation, that's based on works, getting better and better with each lifetime, less suffering, etc. All false, all wrong. You see, it's not about us reaching up to heaven. It's about God reaching down to you. And more than God, more than that, God actually physically came down to earth to walk and talk with us 2,000 years ago. It's about grace, not works. How do we know that? Ephesians 2.8 For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So God tells us it's not about works. It's about God's grace. We don't have to lift up, reach up to God. He reaches down to us, and he's actually came to, he actually came to earth, and he's waiting for us, you know, in that picture of the cross with his arms spread open, just waiting to give us a hug. It's a universal offering, but it must be accepted individually. You don't have to earn your way to heaven. You can't earn your way to heaven. It's all by faith. For by grace through faith, you have been saved. What are our works? What are they for? Works are simply the evidence of our faith. They're the validation of our faith. They are the manifestation of our faith for others' benefit, not for our benefit. Yes, our works that are motivated for Christ will have rewards in heaven, 
But that doesn't have anything to do with whether or not you're saved and get into heaven. That is grace through faith. All right. And then it says, let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. So it says, let us make a name for ourselves. Nimrod, remember we talked about him in chapter 10. He built the city of Babel and was probably in charge of this self-idolizing memorial to oneself and to, to people and not to God. Most leaders want a memorial where they can live and work and for people to respect and to revere and to visit. Think about it. Presidents. You, know, you got the White House, for example, in the United States. Kings. You go to different countries and you've got the palaces. But in contrast, Jesus, he's the king, right? Absolutely. Did he have a big home? A palace? Palatial estate? Anything like that? No, he is basically homeless with no rallying point to live. Nowhere to go to after a long day at work. No place for people to flock to in order to be with him and admire him. Now, he will reside in Jerusalem in the eternal kingdom, and he'll be in the temple, in the, the newly future-built uh, temple during the millennial kingdom. But right now, we don't need a place to go to. Why? Because God doesn't want us to idolize a place or worship a place. Like, oh, look at this temple. It's amazing. I've got to travel there and do laps around it and you know, crawl around it on my knees so they're bloody and I just prove my faith for them. He's saying, no. Every believer, every believer is part of the body of Christ. We are his temples that he created. We are to worship him. And how do we worship him? By loving him. And we go, um, how do we love him and glorify him? By doing to the others, uh, by, by being the hands and feet of Jesus, by being the, quote unquote, from the Bible, the good Samaritan, the one who cares for intense other people, not for our salvation, but, but for other people's benefit and for God's glory. And that's also how he built us to be fueled. We get fueled. We get our maximum peace and our maximum joy when we worship him. It's like gasoline in a car. Your car's not going to go without gas, and there's certain types of gas that are better for your car or for certain cars. And we run at our maximum peace and joy when we're worshiping God. And I, I firsthand can tell you that. There's no doubt. So these people were thinking of themselves. They were wanting to be known to build a name for themselves. And get this, get this. Don't miss this. How often do we do this? We push hard at things to make a name for ourselves. We may to to build a name for ourselves. We may put our name on fundraisers for us to see us. Maybe even to have them envy or idolize us. Like, oh, look how much so-and-so gave. Or on a building or a brick at a church or a school or something like that. Or you serve on a committee because you want to be known. Or you push so hard at work because you're trying to make all this money for yourself. Not to say you shouldn't work hard at work. You should because it's a it's a form of ministry. And it's, it represents God well when we do well at work. And um, I've been stressed out at work lately and uh, just because I'm pushing myself too hard. So this speaks loudly to myself right now as I say this. Uh, I just have a lot going on right now. Um, <clears throat> football players beat their chests and give zero glory to God. And it's like, look at me, pounding their chest, putting their hand up. Maybe every now and again I'm player will put their finger to the sky pointing to God, but it's all about themselves. They want people to look at them, not at God. And parents, here's one for you. We push our kids too hard. We push our kids to get straight A's and or 
to be the best nine-year-old baseball player, to be the best 11-year-old tennis player, to be the best whatever athlete, traveling, traveling to various cities and states, missing church because we have to travel so much, spending all this money because we have to travel so much, and adding to our stress and our schedule. And for what? It's a form of self-idolatry. If your kid gets recognized, then you feel good. It makes you, it's a form of self-idolatry. So think about that. God wants us to honor him. It's okay to play sports. You shouldn't miss church often. And you should be careful of pushing your kid. Making those straight A's, the desire to have them to be the best athlete, that puts a lot of pressure on them. It really hurts their expectations and it can hurt them mentally. And it, may, it could leave lifelong scars because I know many people who have those lifelong scars and their pushing, parents pushing too hard to get straight A's, to be the number one student, to be the number one player, etc. So may we be careful when we do that. And again, it's a form of self-idolatry. And then it says, let us make a name for ourselves lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. So they get scattered here, or they're about to. But they know that that's... Um, one of their risks here. And I believe ethnicities were already created, that ethnicities didn't get created at the Tower of Babel, but they were already created. But there was one common language, and these people, once they're spread out, as we're going to see here, um, these people get spread out, and they, I think, probably went largely with their whatever ethnic group, whatever they looked like, and then they had a you know, different language at the Tower of Babel, and then they kind of went in their different directions. So you already had the ethnicities, but you didn't have different languages. Here you continue those ethnicities going back to a certain, or going to a certain region, and with their own new language. So I think that's how it went down, but I can be wrong. Tomorrow we'll pick up in verse 5. Lord, we love you. Help us to love you enough to give you the glory and not ourselves. Help us to work smart and hard, but not to make a name for ourselves, not to fortify our bank account so that we don't have any fear of running out of money. And I think that speaks to a lot of us, including myself. Help us not to put our names on things so that people look at us and worship us or think we're cool. Help us not to push our kids too hard. Help us for everything we do, everything. Help us to do it to your glory and to look back and reflect on the things of the day and say, was what I did today or the things that I did today, did they glorify God or did they idolize myself or worship something other than God? Help us to understand these things, think through these things, pray through these, reveal the answers to us, and Lord, just give us courage to live for you. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to Daily Verse by Verse. We want you to be prepared in season and out of season to study the whole counsel of God so that you can share with people who Jesus is through your actions so that you have the right to tell them who Jesus is so that they can come to know Jesus or come to know Jesus better. We strongly encourage you to share this message, this podcast on your social media, Facebook, Instagram, message, email someone who you think could benefit from it. It's an easy way for you to go out and witness to the world just by sharing this podcast. We hope you'll join us tomorrow. Have a wonderful day.